0: Good morning. morning. No, the passage from Isaiah that was read um, really speaks to all of us. Um, We humans generally mean well, and we really like our routines. Um, Even our rituals of faith and good works can begin to remove us from the deeper meaning of faith and the role that we play in promoting justice. The historical backdrop of Isaiah 58 is likely after the exile. Um, in the period of fasting, uh, Israel, Israelites would fast twice a year, and they would fast and pray and try to get help for the struggles uh, their struggles. They complain that their prayers go unanswered. In fasting, they are practicing their ritual. They're doing what they're supposed to do, and they're righteously deserving of God's favor. Isaiah complains to God um, and says they're being deprived of justice. And God says... Stop, stop um, depriving those around them of justice and righteousness. Even though Israel has been attentive to the, um, to the ritual ordinances of the law, they have neglected the ethical demands of it. This is a reminder to all of us that justice-making is as much about faith as religious rituals are. Probably all of you are aware there have been a lot of um, books published this year, um, movies, documentaries, um, that are recognizing the 1964 passage of the Civil Rights Act. Um, among the things that stand out about the, um, the civil rights um, struggles is the role that, um, that churches played in that struggle. While well, there's definitely cases of churches and church members that were not doing the right thing during that time, they were sanctioning opposition to um, civil rights, um, for the most part Christians were at the forefront of that struggle. The heroism of Christians during the civil rights movement symbolizes what I think people of faith are called to do in the face of injustice. Today, stark economic equality inequality exists among countries, in the U.S. and here in our own community. In fact, income inequality um, has been increasing steadily since ni- since 1970, and is now at the um, at the place that it was in about in the 1920s, which was pre World War II, when a lot of um, a lot of progress was made um, in growing the middle class, in particular. Corporate profits right now are, um, are the highest that they've been in 85 years, and at the same time, um, worker compensation is the, is the lowest it's been in 65 years. One thing that's kind of interesting and sad is that the Pew Research Institute has done studies about, do, are people aware of this? And people are actually very aware of this, but we've become kind of apathetic and accepting of it. This growing inequality and marginalization of people at the lower rungs of of the ladder are really a call for us as Christians to act. America has this image of being this place of opportunity where all you have to do is really work hard, and if you're you're willing to do that, you can make changes for yourself and for your family. Entrepreneurship has been the way that people can really make this change in addition to education and, and um, and other avenues. Um, This kind of entrepreneurship has always always been difficult, but today it's even more challenging. And what can we do about it? Worker cooperatives offer a creative way for people to work together um, to change their lives by pooling their resources and by uh, accepting the challenges and the opportunities together. The unique empowerment offered by worker cooperatives are being embraced and recognized by religious institutions. The California Council of Churches um, is promoting worker cooperatives um, as catalysts for change. Catholic Charities actually has a special grant for people that are forming uh, cooperatives. And the Federation of Protestant Welfare Agencies in New York City was really the catalyst for the passage of a bill recently in New York City that allocates $1.2 million in in, uh, 2015 toward worker cooperative development. The story of how New York City came to allocate public funds to the development of cooperatives is kind of interesting um, I heard kind of the backstory from a colleague of mine who is a cooperative developer working with a nonprofit in New York City. She said that um, she her nonprofit was working with a number of other nonprofits in the city and they were um, starting uh, worker cooperatives as a economic development endeavor for disenfranchised groups, including people of color, immigrants, um, people who have challenges um, and, uh, gaining employment, and who are chronically unemployed. And she says that this, this group of nonprofits had worked together. They had organized several events. They had been very successful. And they were trying to create a movement to make it bigger, but they just couldn't, didn't have the resources or the, or the leadership to do it. And then along came the, Cal, the um, Federation of Protestant Welfare Agencies. They approached the group and said, we'd like to help. The thing that really stuck out to me when I was listening to my colleague is she was surprised that a religious organization would want to help them. And she was amazed then when they put their resources together and actually made it happen. The Federation of Protestant Welfare Agencies in New York um, had lobbyists, they had connections, and they had resources, and they were able to get the bill authored, they were able to lobby for the bill, and the legislation passed. And all of that $1.2 million goes to those nonprofit cooperative development agencies to help them to start worker cooperatives for disenfranchised groups. But why co ops of all the different kinds of strategies that you'd use? The cooperative is a, a is a well-established business model, and it's characterized by equality and democracy. Worker cooperatives are owned and controlled by the people that work in them, by the workers. Consistent with um, cooperative principles that date back to 1844, cooperatives are governed on the basis of one member, one vote, and people contribute economically to the cooperative and share um, equally in the uh, the proceeds from the co-op. This is a little bit different than a standard corporation that we're used to in our uh, in contemporary society where people's voice is linked to the amount of money or the kind of amount of stock that they own. This is not the way it is in a cooperative. As a community economic initiative, cooperatives offer a respectful, uplifting approach. Participants not only work hard to be involved, but they control it democratically. Something else happens in this process, and that's empowerment. As some of you know, I've been uh, working with cooperatives for over 20 years. The nonprofit I work for engages in projects all over California and is well-networked nationally. I want to engage the religious community in Davis and Yolo County to promote economic justice through the development of worker cooperatives right here in our community. A natural start for this endeavor is to start at my home church, which is what I'm doing today. I will be reaching out to other faith-based congregations, and I hope you'll enjoy me in that. My imminent expectation isn't a million dollars in public funding like in New York, but to begin modestly. The success of creating worker cooperatives is about much more than money. It's, money is great, but it's really not enough. I want to go back briefly to that passage from Isaiah. The passage refers to the yoke a reference to the harness put on oxen to enable them to work uh, and to carry the burden. The yoke is used in the Bible as a metaphor for sharing or lightening the burden. We find references to the yoke in the New Testament. In Matthew 11.30, Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Training uh, oxen in work often involved yoking a younger ox with an older, more mature ox. Um, By pairing the two... It would teach the uh, younger ox, but it would also share the burden. The more mature ox is stronger, the younger uh, yaw, uh, ox is weaker. This, kind of, this is the kind of yoke that Jesus is referring to. He, encourage, he encourages those of us who are heavy laden to take his yoke upon them and in so doing lighten their soul. In developing a work of cooperative business, people with community resources yoke with the less powerful to incite social change. There are a few ways to develop co-ops. One of them is to start with a group and uh, obtain an idea and work with the with the group to start a cooperative business throughout the whole process. Another method is to completely start a business, incorporate it, and then invite people in. This latter process, the build and recruit model, is one that I believe works best with starting a cooperative. Um, for the purpose of um, employing and giving opportunities to disenfranchised groups. This means that the cooperative will be developed and incorporated and then um, worker members will be recruited in. So they will join the cooperative much like anybody would join a cooperative that's already established. Recruited members receive lots of training and for the first 12 to 18 months during the start of the business they receive support. Um, But from the very beginning, members are making decisions democratically. Um, This kind of control is empowerment. Giving control to people um, is uh, is an important part. So while wages and a good job, a steady job, are absolutely essential, the type of empowerment that someone experiences by having control over a major part of their life can be life-changing. The yoke that will help underserved community members involves using the gifts and resources here among us that will help uh, to help other people to to create this business and this opportunity. And the thing about a cooperative business is that this kind of yoking, this kind of help is not limited to those people who initially joined the cooperative, but as new people come in when the business grows, they too become co-owners of the business, so you always expand the opportunity through a cooperative uh, worker cooperative business. There are many ways to yoke and be involved in this uh, project. Besides fundraising, a core group is needed to lend their expertise in educating community members, in writing press releases, um, promoting the cause, and lending technical support, um, accounting, research, business, and so forth. The goal is to create a business within the next 12 months. The primary objective of this initiative is to empower marginalized community members so that they gain more economic, more than the economic development of a living wage. I've been engaged in a similar project in Lompoc, California, and their business opened 15, about 15 months ago. Here's a picture of the women that are involved in this cooperative right now. Um, they are members of Green Broom Brigade Co-op, which is a green cleaning co-op that provides um, house cleaning and commercial cleaning services. Before applying uh, for a job with the co-op, each of these women completed 10 hours of training on cooperatives, The, the sessions including decision making, reading and understanding financial statements, learning about profit sharing, and other elements that are crucial to a cooperative business. This business is governed by these same women. Each worker begins the co-op as a member candidate and is immediately involved in making decisions in their day-to-day work and also in creating policies. As a result of their involvement in the co-op, two of the founding members, Diana and Carmen, have already been able to purchase homes. This is significant because um, this is the first time in either of their extended families, counting their husbands and themselves, Who is anyone has ever owned a home in their family, in their extended family. So here's Carmen and her family, and they're standing in front of their house that they've been living in for about five months. And next is Diana and her family. Um, And I just want to say that the home ownership is really not so much about the money that they're earning, because they're not earning that much yet. It's a new business. Um, It's really about the empowerment process. Diana and Carmen each took advantage of community programs that help first-time homeowners. But those programs were available a long time before Diana and Carmen came to work for the co-op. I believe that it's the empowerment that, ge- that was generated by their experiences in decision-making, in leadership. In the increased control they had over their work life and the pride they feel as being co owners of a business um, that prompted them to pursue those programs and that made their home ownership a reality. Through their involvement in the co op, all of these women have opened a door in their life that can be life changing. I want to share one last story about Diana. Um, Diana, um, the, the the women in this co-op decided that the best way that they could assure that the products that they're cleaning with are pure and natural is to mix them themselves. It's also, also economically, it's also cheaper if they make them themselves. So, um, so Diana came down to the co-op in the evening to prepare her solutions for cleaning the next day. And she brought her oldest son with her, and um, she was mixing the solutions, and he was, you know, kind of... Um, playing around, and and, um, then he said, Mom, we need to go. It's late. We're going to get in trouble. We're here. And Diana looked at him and said, We're not in trouble. I own this business. And she said that her son does not look at her the same ever since that. He sees her in a different way. I invite you to join me in making a positive difference in addressing inequality in Davis and the wider community through the development of a worker-owned business, whose mission is to empower people by creating jobs that pay living wages and to empower people through the opportunity to own and control their own business. Isaiah 58 begins with, Shout out, do not hold back, lift your voice like a trumpet. And I think this is a call to action, so let's get to work.